tired of being me. Eddie Anders told me that that's what he used to mumble to himself all the time. I'm tired of being me. And he said, in fact, when he prayed, that was usually part of his prayer. God, I'm tired of being me. So on Thursday, July the 6th, 2006, Eddie Anders went to his church office about 4 o'clock in the morning. And he began to put things in order. About 5 a.m., he left his church office with a stack of notes to his family and to his staff members. And he left his phone so that no one could track him. And he drove four hours away to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and he checked into a motel, and nobody knew where he was. For a couple of months prior to this date, he had been stockpiling pills. And so he took with him bottles and bottles of pills, and he said on that particular morning, or that afternoon when he got there, he said he took handfuls of Ambien, Dramamine, Lunesta, Zoloft, and fenugrin. He said, I took the fenugrin hoping I wouldn't get nauseated and throw up the pills that I had taken. So he said he took handfuls, handfuls of those pills and he waited for the end to come. Two days later, on Saturday, July the 8th, Eddie Anders woke up in the floor of the hotel room. The ER doc said to him, in my 35 years at this hospital, I have never seen that lethal of an attempt at suicide fail. I had lunch with Eddie on Thursday in preparation for this message. And Eddie wrote a book later about that experience, and it's called Waking Up Dead, a true story of suicide, divine intervention, and a life transformed. By the way, Eddie is now a worship pastor in Greer, South Carolina serving the Lord faithfully. And it's a wonderful thing when a suicide story has a happy ending. But most of them don't. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, last year suicide was the 10th leading cause of death overall in the United States, claiming more than 44,000 lives. It's not counting the countless people who attempted suicide but were not successful. So 44,000 people last year, that, that averages out to about 120 per day, or one person every 12 minutes. So in the hour that we're here for worship today, five people across the United States will have taken their life. Suicide is far more common than we realize. Last year, it was the third leading cause of death among individuals between the ages, listen to this, between the ages of 10 and 14. Third leading, leading cause of death. It's the second leading cause of death among individuals from the ages of 15 to 34. It hits all ages and all stages. The Department of Veteran Affairs said that our veterans, when they come back, because of what they've experienced on the battlefield and because of what they're facing at home, that our veterans are killing themselves at a rate of 18 per day. Did you know that there are more more than twice as many suicides in the United States as there were homicides last year. Last year there were 44,193 suicides and 17,793 homicides. And it's not always the type of people we would expect that take their own lives. It's not always the loner or the druggie or, or the person that's just having all kinds of problems. It's, it's sometimes the people we don't anticipate would do that. For example, Robin Williams, comedian, actor made us all laugh and inside he was dying till one day he did take his life 
or the son of NFL great Tony Dungy. Had everything you could imagine. Famous dad, a wealthy family, wonderful home and life, and yet he took his life. Aaron Hernandez, former NFL player, recently took his own life. And every week or so, it seems that we hear of another suicide in the news. I don't know if you've watched the news or listened to the news or read the news just this week, but on Tuesday of just this week, this past Tuesday, a Texas high school principal shot and killed himself in the school parking lot after turning in his resignation. That was on Tuesday. On Wednesday night, musician Chris Cornell hanged himself after finishing a concert in Detroit. He did the concert. 30 minutes later, he was dead. In Anderson County, a little closer to home, in Anderson County, recently, a 14-year-old girl and a 17-year-old girl committed suicide within a week of each other. And at least one of those girls was said to have watched the Netflix show 13 Reasons Why. And parents, I would encourage you not to let your kids watch that show. It glorifies suicide and is a very dangerous show. At least one of these young ladies watched it before she took her own life. Now, I know that this is not the kind of sermon that you want to hear today. I understand that. But this is not an isolated problem that happens only in certain neighborhoods. Suicide affects all ages, all stages, and it is virtually everywhere. Christians and church members are not exempt. Did you know, I'm familiar with this because of my role this year, but did you know that we have nine South Carolina Baptist pastors who have committed suicide in the last 11 years? Nine pastors in the last 11 years just in the state of South Carolina. In my first church, one of my former deacons hung himself. And in this church, I have been associated with four suicides in this church, either church members or related to church members in the 20 years that I've been your pastor. A few years ago, though, I went to a conference, and this is the one that blew me away, just because of the shock value, I think. But a few years ago, actually several years ago, I went to a conference in Utah, and there was a, a man there that was a famous, well-known Christian author. If I told you who he was, and especially if I told you the book that he wrote, you would know it instantly. And, and this author, I got to meet him and talk to him a little bit, and, and we were doing this icebreaker kind of a game, and it's called Have You Ever? And everybody sits in a circle, and there's one chair missing. There's one, uh, there's one chair where there's not enough for everybody to have a seat, so the guy in the middle needs a chair. So he says, have you ever, and he, he asks a question like, have you ever wrote, ridden a motorcycle? And if you have, you've got to get up and go find another chair, and he tries to take your chair. And, and so the questions were, have you ever gone skydiving? If you have, you jump up, and you, you run to another chair. And, and as everybody was moving around, this famous Christian author was sitting right beside me, and the guy in the circle in the middle got a little personal. He said, have you ever committed or have you ever considered suicide? And this guy got up. The famous Christian author who wrote this book that everybody would recognize. This guy got up and my jaw dropped. I thought, him? Him? You may not realize this, but suicide is found in the Bible as well. Did you know that there are seven suicides in the Bible? So it's, not just con it not, it's not just confined to certain neighborhoods and certain groups of people. I mean, suicide is found in the Bible. Seven of them are mentioned in the Bible. I want to show you one today to set the stage for today's message. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 17.
2 Samuel chapter 17, and I give you the context. There's, there's a man in this chapter named Ahithophel, and Ahithophel is a counselor to Absalom, who's trying to take over the kingdom from David. And Ahithophel, uh, he, he gives Absalom his, some advice on what he should do in order to, to grab the kingdom away from David. And we could dig into all of that, but I just want you to look at verse 23. Basically, the, the advice that he was given was not taken, and it was, he considered that very personal and, and was fearful of, of the ramifications that his advice was not taken. And so it says in verse 23, When Ahithophel saw that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey and set out for his house in his hometown, and he put his house in order and then hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. He went home, put his house in order, and then hanged himself. There's always a trigger. There's always something that pushes us over the line. For Ahithophel, it was that he was a, he was a failure. His advice was not taken. He felt threatened by the ramifications of that. He didn't see a, a bright future ahead for him. And so he felt like the only option would be to take his own life. You see, when someone kills themselves, they see it as the only way out of their problems. Those who consider suicide do not view it the same way that we do. We view it with a rational mind, and we view it as a life cut short. With a rational mind, we see it, we see the brokenhearted victim, and, or we're brokenhearted for the victim and for their family, and we see it as a tragedy. But those who contemplate suicide do not see it that way. They see it as an opportunity. They sit as an opportunity to end their failure. They sit as an opportunity to end their pain. They sit as an opportunity to end their, their guilt. They sit as an opportunity to end their depression. They see it as an opportunity to end the problem they can't fix. See, to people who think of ending their own lives, suicide appears to be the answer to an unsolvable problem. They've got a problem. Everybody who commits suicide, they've got some kind of a problem they can't solve. It might be with them, it might be with their family, it might be with their business, but, but they, there, there's no way to solve this problem. It's an unsolvable problem, and for them, the only way to solve the problem is to check out, to quit, to take their own life. It's not seen as a way out. For them, it's seen as the only way out. Ahithophel is an example of that. In his mind, he only had one option, so he went home, and he put his fares in order, and he hung himself. And he represents thousands and thousands of people each year who feel the same way, who try to end it all. And so, as I begin this message, I want to give you seven reasons why people commit suicide. I just ask you to take notes to, for this and for some other things I'll say in a moment. But first of all, just kind of introductory, seven reasons why people commit suicide. Number one, for some, it's a cry for attention. Uh, basically, these are the folks who say, you wouldn't pay, you wouldn't pay me any attention before, maybe you will now. And so they, they take the pills or, or they cut their wrist or whatever it may be. It's a cry for attention. And you need to know that not everyone who tried to kill themselves meant to. Sometimes they're just wanting somebody to show them love and attention. So that's one reason. Number two, they feel unloved and unwanted. No one would know or care if I'm alive. That's the, what they think. 
No one would care if I'm dead or alive. And so they just feel so unloved. They just feel so unwanted. They don't have a boyfriend. They don't have a girlfriend. Or they broke up with their spouse or whatever it may be. And they just feel so unwanted. They feel so unloved. And to the point that they're ready now just to end their life. Number three, they feel like life is futile. Life just has no meaning. It has no purpose. Life is just full of problems. That's all life has been for them for for probably years. Life has just been full of problems. There's no future in that. And if they continue to keep going, all they're going to have is more problems. So why continue having more problems? They just decide to end it all and to end their problems. Number four, they feel they feel trapped because this is something they can't Fixed. This is something they can't change. This is something they, they, they can't overcome. They, and they've tried that, and they've talked to people, and they've done this and that, and, and it just seems like there is no answer. And so when there is no answer, the only answer is let's just stop. Let's just end it all. That's what happened to Eddie Anders. There just didn't seem to be an answer. Working in a church, getting up and preaching and singing all the time, Sunday after Sunday, but inside, he didn't have any answers. So he decided the only answer is to end it all. Number five, another reason people commit suicide is to avoid disgrace. Maybe it's after a marital affair, or maybe it's a a financial crisis, or maybe there's a business failure. And rather than face all of that and the shame that comes with that, you just decide to end your life. Number six, a nagging sense of guilt. Some people take their lives over something that they did or sometimes something that they failed to do. And this guilt is just eating them up inside because of something that they did or something they failed to do. And they can't deal with the guilt, so they decide to end their life. Number seven, this is a big one. Put a star beside this one. The abuse of drugs and alcohol. People who abuse drugs and alcohol, they're in this downward spiral And they end up saying, I'm a ball and a chain to everyone who knows me. Everyone would be better off without me. I just feel like a ball and chain to everybody. Everybody would be better off without me. And and the the drugs and the alcohol just keep keep them going in this downward spiral. And so today, I'm trying to be very personal, very practical. Today I want to address you, if you've ever considered taking your own life, if you've ever had that thought, if you've ever considered it seriously, I want you to listen very carefully to Pastor Rick Warren, and in just a moment we're going to put up his video. It's only six minutes long, but you need to know something about Pastor Rick. He's the pastor of Saddleback Church in California, and two or three years ago, uh, his son committed suicide. Prominent pastor, well-known across the, the world, really, and his son committed suicide. And he sat down and he made a tape to address those who may be considering doing the same thing. So let's watch this video together. Hi, I'm Pastor Rick, the author of The Purpose Driven Life. And if you've ever felt like giving up on life, I'd like to talk to you for just a minute. You know, a lot of studies have shown that almost everybody has felt suicidal at some low point in their life. You may be feeling that way right now, or you may know a friend or a family member or a coworker who feels that way, and you don't know what to do about it. Just over two years ago, my youngest son, Matthew, who struggled with mental illness his entire life since birth, took his own life. It was the worst day of my life. And I still grieve every day about the permanency of his decision to take his life. 
Now, let me talk first to those of you who may be considering suicide. Here are some things that you really need to consider. First, suicide is a permanent, irreversible attempt to solve a temporary problem. It is not a wise solution. You know, the truth is most people don't really want to end their lives. They just want to end the pain. And there's a big difference between those two. You don't have to die to end your pain. Now, I understand that when you feel totally overwhelmed by your pain and your problems or by situations that you can't see any way out of, that ending your life might appear to be the best solution. But it is not. It's like using a nuclear bomb to wipe out a nest of mosquitoes. It's irreversible, and it'll do far more damage than you possibly realize, and will affect many, many other people besides yourself. There are a lot better ways to make the pain stop. Now, let me give you some simple first steps if you're being tempted to take your life. First, I want you to write down this phone number, one 800 273 Talk. That's 1-800-273-TALK. That's the national number, the lifeline for suicide prevention. It's the national lifeline for suicide prevention. Let me give it to you again. 1-800-273-TALK. Now it's open 24-7 and there are people there who understand what you're feeling. They can help you walk through this deep valley that you're going through right now. And if you're feeling suicidal, I want you to call this number as soon as you finish watching this video. 1-800-273-TALK. Second thing, you need to realize that no emotion, whether good or bad, high or low, happy or sad, no emotion can last forever. Emotions are like waves. They come in on our lives and they crash, but then they dissipate and they go away. No emotion lasts forever. No matter what you're feeling right now, you're not gonna feel it in an hour. And while the depression that you're feeling right now is intense, it cannot, I repeat, it cannot last forever. It's a wave that will go away because no emotion lasts. So you don't wanna make a permanent choice based on a temporary feeling. Never make a major decision when you're depressed. Instead, share what you're feeling with another person so they can bear that pain with you. The Bible talks about this. In fact, the Bible commands us to bear one another's burdens. I'm supposed to help you and you're supposed to help me when we're down. And there are people who would gladly do this if you'll just be open and honest and share how you're feeling. Don't carry it alone. Number three, when you're feeling depressed, you need to realize you're not thinking straight. You can't think logically when you're depressed. Your mind gets confused. For instance, right now you might feel that the world or your family or your work would be far better off without you. Oh, they'd just be better off without me. Well, I'm here to tell you, you're dead wrong. It's just plain wrong. You are loved by God and you are needed in this world, and he created you and made you for a purpose. I wrote an entire book about this subject called The Purpose Driven Life. It's now the most translated book in the world except for the Bible, and it's been the best-selling hardback in American history. Now, why is that? Because everybody has a fundamental need 
to know that your life matters, that your life has meaning, and that God has a plan and purpose for your life. And God's plan and purpose for your life is greater than the problem or the emotion you're feeling right now. If you haven't read Purpose Driven Life, I'd, I'd encourage you to read it and talk to some friends about it. And that leads me to the fourth thing. God never meant for you to handle all the problems and all the pain of your life on your own. We are wired for relationships. We are better together. The very first thing God said in the Bible, it's not good for man to be alone. We're meant to help each other out and to share our emotions with each other. You know, when you share a joy, that joy is doubled. And when you share a hurt or a pain, that pain is cut in half. You need to find one person that you can trust and you need to tell them exactly how you're feeling. As I mentioned earlier, depression often comes in waves. And while this wave will eventually subside, you're not going to feel the way you're feeling right now. It is likely that another one will come again. Waves come in again. And that's why you need a safety net when the waves come. We call that a small group or somebody that you can call on and talk to. Never try to face suicidal feelings by yourself. You're not meant to handle them alone. Again, the feelings will subside, but I, I, it's very important that you first remove anything around you that would make it easy for you to take your life impulsively because people make decisions impulsively that have eternal consequences. Remove anything that would make it easy for you to take your life. And then second, when you're feeling vulnerable, don't try to face it by yourself. If you want to write to me, you can write to rick at pastorrick.com. All of our Daily Hope ministry team uh, will pray for you, will pray with you. We have people who can pray with you and pray for you. Somebody said after the service, they jokingly, after the first service, jokingly said to me, boy, you sure know how to fill a room with gloom. And I get that. I understand that. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you a true story. Uh, in my first pastorate, in Lenore, North Carolina, I felt led. I wasn't in a series like this one. This is the end of our There is Hope series. But it, I just felt led to preach on suicide one Sunday night. Didn't know why. I just felt led to preach on suicide. At the invitation, a lady came forward and buried her head right here on my shoulder, weeping, just weeping. Now, this is one of those ladies who was the pillar of the church. She, she just did everything. She was involved in all of our youth activities and our children's activities, and she was just the, the go-to person for anything that you wanted to get done. But after I preached on suicide that Sunday night, she came and buried her head right here. She said, Keith, this afternoon I had decided I was going to take my life. See, you just never know. Never know who's sitting next to you who's considering it right now. And if it was your spouse, your child, or your grandchild who is struggling with thoughts of suicide, you would pray that I'd get up here and say something about it. And so I want to give you, before we leave today, five lies of suicide and the truth that will set us free. Five lies of suicide. Five lies the enemy tells. And then counter that with the truth that God says. I encourage you to write these down. Number one, 
The first lie is this one. They're better off without me. This lie says, I'm actually doing everybody a favor if I exit. I've caused so much heartache. I've caused so much pain in my family that I'd actually be doing everybody a a, a favor. And I know that they'll be sad. They'll be heartbroken. but, But they'll quickly get over it and life will be better without me. That is so short-sighted because here's what's really going to happen. You're going to end their problems and you're going to multiply theirs. Your problems are suddenly going to end in your mind, but theirs, they're left to pick up the pieces. They're left trying to figure out what do we do now. Their hearts are crushed and they have to deal with this great loss and despair. You see, suicide is never, ever the right solution for anyone. And The Bible says this. The Bible says that God is your refuge. Listen to uh, Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. See, in those times when, when you feel like, I just don't know if I can hang on, I want you to know something. God's hanging on to you. And He doesn't intend to let go. Line number two. No one really cares about me anyway. I'm all alone in this. This lie tries to make you feel that the despair and the, the depression and the defeat that you're in right now, that you're feeling, that you're sinking deeper and deeper into all of this and that it'll never get any better, it'll never be any different. But that's a lie as well. Listen to what the Bible says, Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's close to the brokenhearted and He saves those. Christian spirit. Let me give you an example of that. Open your Bibles to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. It was a psalm written by David. David, a man after God's own heart, struggled in many ways, and I think some of these thoughts he's going to express you can identify with. Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And look at verse 2 and 3 especially. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him. My foes will rejoice when when I fall or when I die. But now notice the word in verse 5, first word in verse 5, but. It's a word of contrast. It's a word that leads to a different outcome. But, I trust in your unfailing love and my heart rejoices in your salvation. I, I, I will sing to the Lord for He has been good to me. You see, it's a lie to say no one really cares about me Because God cares about you. And there are many, many other people who care about you as well. You just can't see it or feel it right now because of what you're dealing with. Lie number three is this. I just can't face this pain anymore. This trial is too hard. This lie says that we can't go on. Life's too hard. It's too difficult for us. We've tried and we just can't stand it anymore. But the truth of the Word of God is this. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear For I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. For I am your God. And I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
Line number four, I've lost, I've lost all hope and I can't go on. This lie basically says life is seemingly over. I might as well end it because my life is over anyway. But the truth says there's always hope because hope is based on God. And the psalmist said in Psalm 43, 5, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Put your hope in God, for I will yet. I may not right now, but I will yet praise Him. There's a day coming when I will. There's a time coming when I will, when this will be different. It'll be better. Lie number five. I've messed up everything. My life is over anyway. This lie says we've blown it so badly we might as well end it all. We don't deserve to live any longer because of the way we've been living, because of the mistakes that we've made, because of the people that we've hurt. We've just made a mess of everything. We might as well go, go on and end it. But listen to Psalm 40, verse 2. He, God, He brought me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, he, God, set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He, God, can do what you can't do. And He can bring you out of the miry pit that you're in right now. I told you that suicide knows no boundaries, and here's a prime example. Frank Page is the CEO of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's the president and CEO of the Southern Baptist Convention. Not long after obtaining that position... Frank Page's daughter commit, committed suicide. Her name is Melissa, and he wrote a book about it. I'd encourage you to get this book and to read it. It's for so many different reasons. It tells her story, as well as speaking to those who are considering suicide. But here is a prominent pastor, prominent denominational leader, and after beginning his new work in Nashville, Tennessee, as president of the Southern Baptist Convention, his daughter committed suicide. And one of the things that's in this book, one of the reasons that I think you need to get it is because throughout this book, littered throughout this book are letters to you, letters to people who are considering suicide. I want to read you part of this letter. It says, a letter to you if you're contemplating suicide. Here's a, a lesson from Frank Page from the heart of a pastor, and more importantly, the heart of a parent. Here's what he says. If I ask you to tell me the main issues and problems that are giving you little reason to live anymore, I know you could name them one by one for however long we're able to talk. I know that each of them, or at least the accumulated weight of them, feels so gigantic and monstrous, so overwhelming that you often cannot see yourself surviving them or making it safely to the other side of them. And while, yes, I agree with you that these matters are legitimate and serious, you need to know that there's a spiritual enemy at work against you whose job is to make them seem more enormous and insurmountable than they actually are. He's trying to kill you. Do you see it? The Bible says in John 10.10 that he is a thief who comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. You see, death is his goal. He knows the damage it can do not only to you, but to your family and to your friends and to your church to your testimony and ministry as a Christian. If he can destroy you, he can destroy a generation. If he can steal life from you, he can steal peace and joy from five, ten, twenty others who love you and care about you, who will be left to deal with their guilt and their pain, their hurt, their loss, their grief, 
their sadness, their struggle. If he can cause you to see death as a viable option, even contorting your thinking enough to view it as almost a noble, heroic act, something that will give others relief from having to deal with you and your difficulties, then he can leave a mark on others that will never go away. These suicidal thoughts often feel like they're starting with you, as if you're coming to this conclusion on your own. But Satan is the encourager, the motivator, the impetus behind every destructive, violent, fatal thought that passes through your mind. And he's banking on the high probability that you'll catch them and put them in, uh, pull them in and claim them as yours. So I'm asking you to do something different with those thoughts. The Bible tells us that we are not hopeless slaves to what others tell us or how they describe us, that we have been granted God's authority and backbone to, quote, take every thought captive and force it to be analyzed by what His Word says is true. You may or may not have a great familiarity with Scripture, and so you may or may not always uh, have uh, something... You may not... Try again. So you may not always have anything other than your God-given sense of right and wrong or your common sense to help you know how to sort out what's true and what's not. But I want you to consider doing this one thing for me. Now listen. This is all I ask, Frank says. Say and repeat the following verse until you hopefully have, have it memorized, always on hand to help you recognize the grand extreme between what Satan wants for you and what the Lord Jesus wants for you. Let me pause here to say, do you understand Satan wants to do something to you and the Lord Jesus wants to do something for you? Here's what he says. John 10.10, 10, the words of Christ. A thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it in abundance. Life. As hard as yours can be sometimes, perhaps seemingly all the time, Jesus has an abundance of life for you that is stronger than even the iron grip of death, and you know how strong that can be. His love for you, His life for you, is more consuming than Satan's hatred of you and His desire to deceive you and destroy you. This past Thursday, I told you I had lunch with Eddie Anders, the the author of this book and the survivor of his own suicide attempt. I said, Eddie, I want to ask you a question. What would you say to someone who's about, who is con- contemplating suicide, who may be about to take their own life? What would you say to them to give them hope? And here's what he said. So the main thing that I would tell them is this. Change the focus off of you. It's about Jesus. He said, the thing that helped me as much as anything after my suicide attempt was to realize how much my life was focused on me and my problems and my issues and my hopeless future. He said, but when I began to focus on Jesus, truly focus on Jesus, he said, that's when my life was radically changed. And in fact, I want to close by asking you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. This is a verse a verse that Eddie quoted to me, but I want you to see it in your Bible. Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Eddie said, I finally started living out this verse, and he quoted it to me. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live 
but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Change the focus off of you. It's Jesus who can make the difference. I want you to bow your heads with me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to end this service differently. We're not going to have the traditional invitation. I just want to speak to you for a moment before we leave. If you are considering suicide, I want you to understand something. I love you. And I want to help you. God loves you. For about two weeks, I've been working on this message, and I just felt the darkness as I've, worked, as I've read and read and read. And I could just feel the darkness. And I can't imagine what you're feeling right now. I can't imagine what it is to wrestle with the darkness for weeks or months or maybe years. But there is hope. Rick Warren put a number up on the screen. If you don't want to talk to me, he put a number on the screen. You can call someone. If you go to our website, we're putting up probably by tomorrow. We're, it's not there yet, but by tomorrow, hopefully, we're putting up a list of some numbers of people you can call, places where you can get help. Also, tomorrow, hopefully by tomorrow, I'm going to put up a one-page document on how to help a friend or a co-worker or a family member who's struggling with suicidal thoughts. Uh, what do you do? I, I'm going to give you seven things that you can do to help somebody who's struggling with suicidal thoughts. That'll be on our website the next day or two, and you can go find that page there. But I just want you to hear this as if it came from the mouth of Jesus himself especially those of you who are wrestling with darkness. I want you to hear this verse as if it came from the mouth of Jesus himself. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's what you need. That is who you need. The enemy is trying to convince you there is no hope, but there is. Because Jesus said, come to me, and I will give you what you don't have right now. I will give you rest. Father, in the name of Jesus, I, I know that there are people who are in this service or who are watching online who likely have considered suicide. They've wrestled with the darkness. For some, it may be that they've just wrestled for the last couple of weeks with it. For others, it may be something they've wrestled with for years, and they are seriously considering when the end will come. But I pray in the name of Jesus that they would turn to Jesus and that they would experience the life He wants to give rather than the death that Satan wants to bring. And so, Lord, we know that ultimately we all have to turn our hearts and our lives over to you, that life doesn't make sense apart from you. And I pray for victory in the name of Jesus. And I pray for lives to be changed as we open our hearts, broken as they are, to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.